Natalie and Nathan were closer than other twins. They shared more than a birthday. They shared the same brain. His was the right side and hers was the left. And though they shared separate bodies, every thought and memory belonged to them both. This made them an anomaly. They were unique, and because of it, they would become a target for a secret organization that specialized in just such things. Soon it would be more than memories that they would share. It would be sheer terror. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. Today we're discussing the fictional world of the SCP Foundation, a fictional secret organization documented by the collaborative Writing Wiki project of the same name. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave an honest review on iTunes, too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully, the more monsters we can explore. If you'd like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. My brother was born seven minutes before me, and he never let me forget that he was the oldest. It always seemed that he was one step ahead of me in life. He was the first to walk, the first to learn how to ride a bike, and to get his driver's license. I thought it was because he was smarter, but in reality, it's because he was a dreamer. But what no one knew was that we could see and hear everything that our twin experienced. We shared one brain. I'd been born with the left side and he had been born with the right. If I decided to eat a chocolate ice cream cone, Nate could taste it. If he went to see a movie, I could close my eyes from home and watch it with him. We shared our sleep as well, which was annoying, because when Nate would go to bed early and I wanted to stay up, I had no choice. I would always fall asleep shortly after he did. He was the same way, and we had no control over it. I was organized and obsessive, where he had a great imagination. Growing up, we always wished we could trade brains. I loved art, but had no artistic ability and Nate became frustrated that he struggled with studies and organization. We shared these parts of our minds and learned to do things from each other. But when we became teenagers, we longed for privacy and individuality. So we learned how to shut each other out. I pursued the things in life that I had desired and focused on what I had learned from Nate. Natalie, he would say, you like to stop and smell the roses while I'm busy planning the garden. I would laugh and say, yeah, because you learned how to plant it from me. When we were in high school, I went to work for a greenhouse and finally was able to ask Nate, who's planting the garden now? 
We were always very close, like many twins are. So I was supportive but sad when he decided to join the army. I felt like I was losing part of myself. Fast forward 10 years and I owned my own flower shop while Nate had become a career military man. He was a staff sergeant commanding his own squad and I was a proud sister who still missed her brother very much. I couldn't wait until Christmas when he finally would get to spend some time at home with our family. But Christmas quickly became a sad occasion when he got called away on Christmas Eve for an emergency, top secret mission. He couldn't give us any details, not even where he was going or how long he would be gone. I didn't try to get into his head because that was something we swore never to do to each other. New Year's went by, then Easter, and then summer arrived with still no word from Nate. My mom and I had made calls and emailed every department and official that we could find within the military. No one had answers. Desperate for answers and sick with worry, I finally gave in one evening and tried to reach out to him. I sat at my kitchen table, closed my eyes, and found the veil in my mind that kept our thoughts private and cut off from each other. But when I pulled it back, there was nothing there. I was scared. Did this mean that he was still shut off from me? Or had something happened to him? Then one morning I was in the back of the flower shop getting an order ready when I heard the bells chime letting me know that I had a customer. But when I went out to the counter there was a strange looking couple standing there. It was a man and a woman in almost identical black suits. The man had wavy shoulder length blonde hair and the woman had short jet black hair cut in a high and tight style. The man was taller than her by at least half a foot and I expected him to address me first. How can I help you? I asked politely, sensing that they weren't there for flowers. The woman answered back, we're looking for Natalie Stillman. Her voice was strong, and I could tell immediately that she was in charge. I'm Natalie, I answered back. I was curious about who these people were, and then my thoughts quickly went to Nate and my heart began to pick up speed. Are you Nathan Stillman's sister? The question caused my stomach to turn over. These kind of things never ended well. It was usually the way one received bad news. I couldn't get any words past the lump in my throat, so I just crossed my arms and nodded quickly. I'm Agent Kilgore, and this is Agent Sloan. We're here from the foundation that your brother has been working for. Is there some place we can talk more privately? She asked, her voice becoming softer this time. This way, I said as I motioned for them to come around the counter and follow me to the back of the shop. Once there, I turned around and I didn't wait for them to explain why they were there. What's happened to my brother? I asked urgently. It's difficult to explain what's going on with your brother. It's... She paused, searching for the right words, the safe words to use without telling too much. Your brother was recruited to help with a project that our foundation was undergoing. And well, now he needs your help. She finished quickly, almost suspiciously. 
I can't tell you any more, except that it's of the utmost importance that you come with us. It's a matter of national security. Someone will explain everything to you once we're there. Natalie was worried. The underlying impression and the feeling coming from her gut told her that something was terribly wrong. But it was Nate, and she had to go to make sure he was okay. She called and asked her parents to come help with the shop while she was gone, only saying that Nate had sent for her and that she couldn't tell them anything until she got there and found out what was going on. They were happy to help because it was a way to help both of their children. The agents followed Natalie back to her house, where she packed a bag as quickly as she could. In less than half an hour, she was in the back seat of a big black Chevy Tahoe, headed to the airport. There was no checking her bag or waiting in line to go through security. She was escorted through a side door that said employees only, and then straight to a private jet. Where are we going? She asked Agent Kilgore as she was fastening her seatbelt. That's confidential, was the answer she got. Well, can you tell me how long the flight is? She asked, not pressing for further information. We should be at our destination in just under three hours. Kilgore replied as she leaned her chair back and closed her eyes, obviously an unspoken way of avoiding more questions. Natalie wished she could take a nap, but she was too worried about Nate and about her unknown destination. They had hit severe turbulence halfway through the flight, and by the time they reached the landing field, it was storming so bad that Natalie couldn't make out the ground from her window until she saw runway lights. Luckily, the landing was smoother than the flight, and as soon as they left the plane, there was a car waiting on them. It was a short drive before they arrived at what at first glance looked like an office building, but it was hard to tell because the wind had picked up so heavily that the rain was coming in sideways and the car seemed to be rocking. Natalie was soaked by the time they got into the building. Then it occurred to her that she hadn't seen anything about this type of storm when she watched the weather that morning. Where in the hell were they? The flight hadn't been long enough to be out of the country. She decided not to ask any more questions. Not yet. She could wait. This way. Agent Sloan spoke for the first time as he ordered her to follow him. Agent Kilgore headed down a hall in the opposite direction. He led her down a long white hallway. A very white hallway. Everything was white. The walls, the ceilings, the doors, and even the floors. The doors were numbered but had no words to explain what they were. He finally stopped at a door that said 801 and said, This is where you will be staying. Put on some dry clothes and I'll be back to get you in exactly 20 minutes. After he opened the door and she stepped in, he turned and walked back down the hall. The room was very basic but thankfully had more color than the hallway. There was a twin-sized bed with a blue quilt thrown over it. There was also a nightstand with a lamp, and across the room was a desk and a rack to hang clothing. She found a single bathroom with a shower and a door that must have went to the next room. She wasn't fond of the idea of sharing a bathroom with a stranger. She had changed into her dry clothes and was putting on her shoes when a knock on the door made her jump. 
Agent Sloan was standing at the door alone waiting on her. Follow me. They are waiting for you in the O5 Council meeting room. She followed him down the hall until it split in four directions like a plus sign. There they turned right and went down another long hall that was starkly different from the last. It was more refined, with warm colors and decorative paintings along the walls. At the end of the hall was a set of double doors, which swung open automatically when they approached. As they entered the room, Natalie was taken aback by what she saw. The room was lit by one light hanging over a large, round, conference-style table. Around the table were more than a dozen men and women. Each one of them were staring directly at her. She felt as if she had walked into a heated discussion. The silence in the room was heavy and deliberate. She couldn't describe the face of even one of these people because their features seemed to be constantly changing. She thought at first that her eyes were playing tricks on her until a rather tall man at the far side of the table stood and spoke. Welcome, Miss Stillman. Welcome to the SCP Foundation. Thank you for coming today. Before we begin, I want to explain. First of all, the identity of the members of this council could be shocking. So our identities are kept secret by the scrambled appearance you see before you. I hope it's not too unsettling. Natalie was shocked for a moment, and as she heard his voice, it was altered as well. But that was nothing compared to everything he was about to tell her. I'm going to cut to the chase, Miss Stillman, because time is of the essence. Magic is real. It's not exactly like the traditional fantasy-style magic you've come to know, but that's the best way we can describe the stuff we have here. Anomalies. Items and creatures that don't follow the rules of nature as we know them. The SCP Foundation is dedicated to apprehension and containment of these anomalies. Your brother, because of his extensive military training, was chosen to help with a special project. During the duration of that project, we became aware of his unique abilities. Abilities that we suspect you share with him. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more light-hearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too, in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today.
on iOS and Android. The SCP Foundation is an online community of writers where people from all over the world collaborate to produce stories about unusual and mysterious creatures, things, and locations. Within the website's shared universe, the Foundation is responsible for capturing, containing, and studying various paranormal, supernatural, and other mysterious phenomena unexplained by science, known as anomalies, or SCPs while also keeping their existence hidden from the rest of human society. The SCP Foundation is described as a secret organization that operates outside of the law, with the sole purpose of securing, containing, and protecting anomalous objects, entities, and phenomena that pose a threat to humanity. These anomalies can be anything, from inanimate items with unusual traits to sentient creatures with extraordinary abilities. They come in all kinds and sizes. Although the SCP Foundation's precise beginnings are unknown, it's thought that it was established in the middle of the 20th century in reaction to the rising number of anomalous phenomena that were being reported worldwide. There are many hypotheses concerning who started the Foundation and what caused it, but none of them have been proven to be true. According to one account, a group of scientists and government representatives who understood the potential danger anomalous things and creatures pose to humanity created the foundation. These people argued that a specialized organization was required to contain and investigate these anomalies because ordinary law enforcement and scientific organizations were unprepared to manage them. Another hypothesis is that a supernatural occurrence or sequence of occurrences that endangered humanity's security led to the establishment of the Foundation. This hypothesis holds that a group of people with knowledge of the supernatural got together to create the Foundation in order to save humanity from these dangers. No matter where it came from, the SCP Foundation operates in total secrecy. Its agents operate covertly employing a range of methods to locate, secure, and safeguard peculiar things, beings, and phenomena. The Foundation's operations are kept so under wraps that the majority of governments and law enforcement organizations are not even aware it exists. Despite its secrecy, the SCP Foundation has a significant impact on pop culture, serving as a source of inspiration for countless novels, pieces of art, and even video games. Many people have been drawn to the Foundation because of its dedication to defending humanity against the unknown, and its enigmatic past only serves to increase this appeal. The Foundation's goal is to safeguard, contain, and provide protection for anomalous things, people, and phenomena. Finding and locating these abnormalities is the initial stage in this approach. The Foundation will take action to secure an anomaly after it has been found either by physically enclosing it or by watching it to make sure it doesn't change from its current condition. Containment is the following phase. The anomalies are managed by the Foundation using a variety of containment techniques. Simple storage to highly specialized facilities created to hold the most harmful anomalies are all included in these methods. Each anomaly's containment measures are customized to meet its unique requirements. 
and they may include everything from reinforced steel containers to magical wards. Protection is the last action. The Foundation takes its duty to safeguard humanity extremely seriously because it's aware that the anomalous things, beings, and phenomena it houses have the ability to do a lot of terrible things to people. This can range from actively seeking to neutralize or eliminate the anomaly if it poses a threat to civilization, to just monitoring the anomalies to make sure they do not escape their containment. In general, the SCP Foundation is a group committed to shielding people from the unknown. Its operatives are said to put in endless effort to locate, secure, contain, and safeguard aberrant things, people, and occurrences that could endanger humanity. Even though the Foundation uses unconventional techniques, it is steadfast in its desire to defend humanity. The SCP Foundation is organized in a hierarchical and covert manner, with access and clearance levels granted to employees based on their level of involvement and security clearance. Only a select few people who have proven to be exceptionally loyal and competent are given Level 5, the highest level of clearance. There is no clear origin story for the SCP Foundation, and its origins is steeped in mystery and conjecture. Some theories claim that the Foundation was established in antiquity by an occult secret society, while others assert that it is a current government organization with Cold War roots. Based on their behavior and the amount of threat to humanity, SCP objects are divided into one of three categories. Safe, Euclid, and Keter are these classifications. It's crucial to comprehend these classifications because they dictate the level of containment needed for each SCP. The safe class is used for SCPs that are quite simple to contain and pose little to no risk to human life or society. This class covers items that are simple to store in a safe locker or vault and don't need specialized containment techniques or tools. Anomaly-producing things and entities are secured and contained using a variety of containment techniques by the SCP Foundation. The techniques are used to isolate and manage SCPs in order to stop them from harming people or Foundation employees, are referred to as containment procedures. Physical containment is one of these containment techniques. It entails the use of actual barriers to keep SCPs in their containment. For SCPs with biological traits and particular containment requirements, biological containment measures are applied. This may involve sterile settings, biological isolation chambers, or chemical therapy. In order to contain SCPs with mimetic properties, that is those that can affect or control human behavior through the dissemination of information or ideas, mimetic containment measures are used. These practices might entail the usage of particular words or symbols, restricted information access, or the administration of amnesia-inducing drugs to persons who have been exposed to the SCP in order to wipe their memories. The Foundation uses a range of different methods to contain SCPs, such as temporal, extra-dimensional, and reality-bending containment procedures, in addition to physical, biological, and mimetic containment protocols. SCPs with unusual properties that can't be contained by conventional means are treated utilizing these strategies. Mobile Task Forces, or MTFs, are a collection of specialist squads, 
used by the SCP Foundation to help confine and destroy anomalous objects and creatures. MTFs are specialized teams of Foundation employees that have undergone training to meet the unique demands of each mission. The containment and neutralization mission of the SCP Foundation depends heavily on mobile task forces. The wide range of anomalous hazards that the Foundation must contend with require their specialized knowledge and training, and their rapid thinking and efficiency are critical for containing and neutralizing SCPs. Containment breaches can and do happen despite the Foundation's best efforts to keep SCPs contained and protected. The SCP Foundation must take prompt, decisive action to control the breach and stop additional harm when a SCP escapes its containment and poses a threat to the outside world. The main source of information about SCPs is found in SCP files. These files provide comprehensive details about ASCP, including its description, containment protocols, classification, and any unique handling or containment needs. All of the SCP found in the Foundation's files are unique in one way or another. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. But there are some that are said to be SCPs of interest. These SCPs are unique and intriguing and have caught the attention of Foundation personnel. SCP-096 is a humanoid creature that becomes extremely violent when its face is viewed. SCP-096 will pursue the person who viewed its face until it can no longer see them. SCP-500 is a pill that can cure any disease or infection, no matter how severe. SCP-500 is highly sought after by the Foundation and is considered one of their most valuable resources. SCP-610, flesh that hates, infects all life forms with a highly contagious skin disease that turns the victim into a horrid, fleshy abomination over time. SCP-261 is a vending machine that dispenses unusual and often anomalous items when given a certain amount of money. Some of the items produced by SCP-261 have been highly useful to the Foundation personnel, while others have been extremely dangerous. SCP-106, The Old Man, is among the most recognizable and most notorious early SCPs. A living being that resembles a decaying corpse. SCP-106 is a predatory creature capable of lying motionless for days at a time while it waits for its prey. SCP-173 is a Euclid-class SCP. It's a concrete rebar sculpture that moves when not looking at it. When it gets close to a human or otherwise living creature, SCP-173 will snap its neck and kill or attempt to. It is dangerous and hostile and can move through vents, but can be contained fairly easily by putting it in a containment chamber, although containment breaches involving it have happened before. SCP-284-1 and 284-2 are twins born in Illinois. Though they appear to be normal, they are dizygotic twins who share a single functional brain. SCP-284-1 is female, 1.72 meters tall, containing the left side of the brain. 
SCP-284-2 is male, 1.79 meters tall, containing the right side of the brain. In both subjects, the size of the possessed lobe is approximately 50% larger than normal, presumably to allow for maintaining function of two bodies at once. It has been found that while the subjects have separate personalities, they share memories, skills, knowledge, physical sensation, and have shown limited levels of emotional synergy. Though there is no way to know for certain, they claim to have taught themselves how to block out sensory information from each other to varying degrees. Vision and hearing can be blocked out completely, while taste, smell, and touch can be weakened. Doing so is a choice of the one receiving the information, not the one experiencing it. As another example of internet folklore, SCP has, as previously mentioned, reached far and wide across popular culture. The fictional works have shown up in video games, manga, movies, and television shows. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Natalie didn't know who these people were or how they had discovered their secret, but she was scared. She knew what it meant. They would want to run tests, poke, prod, and maybe even dissect them trying to find answers. Her first reaction was to find a way to escape, but she couldn't, not without Nate. Where's my brother? She demanded, managing to keep her voice calm, even though she felt nothing but. Your brother is safe and will remain so as long as you cooperate. Our goal is to make sure your abilities are not a danger to those around you even though no one has yet to be harmed. Your abilities may be far greater than you know." The tall man then turned his head and nodded to someone she hadn't noticed standing in the shadows. It was Agent Kilgore. Without another word, he sat back down and Agent Kilgore walked around the table and approached Natalie. Come with me. That was all she said, no explanation given as Agent Sloan appeared on the other side, and they escorted her out of the room, followed by two armed men in masks, who appeared from virtually nowhere. Natalie waited until they were through the door before asking, Where are you taking me? Without hesitation, Agent Kilgore answered, To see your brother. They led her down another long hall that seemed to go on forever. They passed door after door, and Natalie began to worry that it would be difficult to escape because this place was much larger than it had appeared from the outside. It seemed to grow as they walked. Finally, they came to a stop in front of one of the doors that was marked SCP-284. Agent Kilgore pulled out a keycard from her pocket and swiped it through a slot next to the door handle, and the lock clicked. Natalie wasn't sure what she had expected to find inside, but it certainly wasn't this. As she stepped into the room, 
it was like entering a cozy family room with slightly worn furniture and a large flat screen TV. Sitting on a couch with his back turned to her was Nate. He was wearing headphones and holding a game controller. He was so engrossed in the Call of Duty game he was playing that he hadn't heard them enter. That's when Natalie, without even meaning to, dropped the veil in her mind that had been in place for years and reached out to him with her thoughts. Nate became very still for a moment before dropping the controller and yanking off the headset. He jumped from the couch and turned quickly to her. Natalie! He said with surprise, apparent in his voice. He then stepped around the couch and pulled her into an embrace. You're a sight for sore eyes, he said as he pulled her close to him. Natalie hugged him back before pushing him far enough away to look him over. Are you okay? Have they hurt you? No, no, he laughed. They've been good to me so far. But how did they know? She began to ask. I'll explain everything. Come have a seat. He motioned for her to sit on the couch. And as they sat, the agents quietly exited the room, leaving them alone. What's going on? Natalie asked. Are you a prisoner here? Not exactly, but it would be easier to show you. I thought about lifting the veil from my mind and reaching out to you, so you wouldn't be worried, but I was afraid. I've seen things here that will terrify you. May I? He asked as he reached towards her hand. Natalie nodded and closed her eyes as he placed his hand over hers. Her body went rigid as the flow of so many memories began to transfer from his side of their brain to hers. Years of images and information were suddenly being uploaded into her mind. These images flashed through her mind at such a rate of speed that it was almost nauseating. She caught fleeting glimpses of him in boot camp and drinking with his friends. She saw an image of a woman and felt the feelings he had for her. She'd have to examine that memory later. As his memories were flooding her brain, hers were his too. Hers were more peaceful. They were full of days at the flower shop, visiting with customers and making flower arrangements. A smile began to spread across his face as he saw how happy her life had been the last many years. Then he heard her screaming and his eyes shot open. She was still next to him, but she was climbing up the back of the couch, clutching her face with her hands. He grabbed her and pulled her to him. It's okay, calm down. Those things can't hurt you. Remember, they're just memories. You're safe here with me. She was shaking by the time she managed to pull her mind back to the here and now. You said I would be terrified. She began. But Nate, those memories, those things, they're beyond terrifying. Within seconds, she had lived almost ten years of his life. And out of all of it, the last six months were the worst. She found herself suddenly exhausted, and no matter how hard she tried, she was falling asleep before she could form another word. Natalie slumped onto the couch and passed out. Nate knew from experience that now that their brains were working together, he wouldn't be far behind her.
They had been watching from another room, and their suspicions were confirmed. The twins shared thoughts and memories, and now they were both secured and contained. Did they need to be protected from the outside world, or did the world need to be protected from them? Agents Kilgore and Sloan were standing next to Dr. Daniel Ashworth, staring at the screen. Take them to the examination room before they wake, he ordered, and without question they did as they were told. Natalie and Nathan woke simultaneously to find themselves strapped onto tables next to each other beneath blinding lights. Natalie was scared. She couldn't move her arms. Nate, what's going on? I thought we were safe here. I, I don't know, he answered as he began to struggle against the restraints. A figure stepped between them and blocked the light that was glaring into Natalie's eyes. I'm Dr. Ashworth. I'm here to examine you and to determine how to categorize you. You together are an anomaly like I haven't seen before. Unfortunately, you will both have to be conscious during the examination and it may be somewhat uncomfortable. The doctor then stepped towards the end of the table closest to Nate's head where an array of surgical instruments were arranged neatly. Natalie watched in horror as he picked up a circular saw. That's when she noticed that Nate's head had been shaved, and there were lines drawn around his scalp with a marker. This can't be happening, she thought. As the doctor turned the saw on, she could feel her and Nate's heart beating in unison. She could feel his terror combined with hers. When the blade touched the bare skin of his scalp, they both screamed as if they were one person. She felt the burn of the blade as if it was cutting her own flesh, and she watched in horror as the doctor cut away the top of her twin scalp all the way through his skull and then removed it like a cap and laid it gently on a table. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Destination Terror and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we discuss the Gremlin, a folkloric creature that is known for wreaking havoc on aircraft. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.